I'm EJ Ionelli, and this is From the Studio. And joining me and Henry in the KPBX studio is Phil Baldwin, and he is a Whitworth Strings instructor, as well as Coeur d'Alene Symphony Concertmaster, among many, many other things. But he's here today in his capacity as artistic director and conductor of the Spokane Youth Symphony Orchestra. And the Spokane Youth Symphony has a concert coming up this weekend titled The Nature of Music, and Phil is here to tell us about that. So welcome, Phil. Well, thank you very much. And, you know, we're about to dive into a program that includes Beethoven and Vivaldi and a, a piece by uh, Sunhi Newbold. But I couldn't help but notice you're wearing an ACDC T-shirt today. Is this paying homage to your rock roots? <laughs> <laughs> I thought that might catch your attention. Um, I'm wearing this partly because I think it's edgy. But another reason is I just love all different kinds of music. And hate to say it, when I was... In high school, and my sister listened to ACDC, I thought it was the worst music on the planet, and I, I hated it. Um, now I am a huge fan, <laughs> and uh, so I'm retroactively enjoying the music of that era. <laughs> yeah, and at some point, you know, maybe we can incorporate that, a symphonic version, into the, the Spokane Youth Symphony Orchestra program. I think that would be a fabulous <laughs> idea. Reminds me of Spinal Tap. <laughs> Hopefully our Stonehenge is a little bit larger. Right, yes. <laughs> um, with the Spokane Youth Symphony, now folks might not realize that this is actually four components. There are there are ensembles and, and orchestras that are part of this. And so the Spokane Youth Symphony, when we talk about it, we are actually talking about this larger body. And so I was wondering if you could give us a quick primer on the four components uh, actually, there are more than that, but, you know, four primary components of the Spokane Youth Symphony. Absolutely. Um, so we are really lucky to have some fantastic educators on our conducting staff. And so the first orchestra that students might enter is called Strings, and that's conducted by Dr. John Marshall, who's the cello professor at Eastern um, and also the principal cellist of the Spokane Symphony. Um, every time we have a concert, I'm just kind of blown away by what John gets out of those students. They sit beautifully, they have a beautiful tone, they play marvelously together, and they get their first experience working not with just the musicians in their school, but sort of the cream of the crop uh, in the Spokane area. And that is their entry point to our system. And then the next group up from that is Gerilyn Harris's group, and that's called Sinfonietta. And Gerilyn is a extremely fun educator. I've done lots of things with her. She is a great improviser. She plays a million different instruments. And the kids just love being around her. So they learn so much from her. And then those students who come out of Sinfonietta then move up to the Philharmonic, conducted by Dr. Roberta Batelli, another cellist in the Spokane Symphony. And Roberta is great at introducing those students to wind players and percussionists. So that is our first full orchestra. And those students tend to be eighth grade to about 10th grade uh, in there. And then depending on their interest level, they join the uh, youth symphony, which is the one I conduct. And we have students all the way from little Christopher, who I think is in seventh grade, all the way up through seniors in high school. And our group plays uh, the full symphonic repertoire. And there is an audition process for each of these groups, no? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I think nobody likes to do an audition, but the reality of being a musician is that you will always have to audition. And so we see that as part of our educational process, getting students used to that idea of um, auditioning to get into a group and then auditioning for chairs within the group. And uh, most of the time, 
it's very well received. There are a few tears every once in a while, but uh, usually they're, they're tears of relief rather than frustration. <laughs> well, you raise a really good point because it isn't just the musical skill and having the technical skill, but also the emotional skill to deal with live performances in front of, a, in front of an audience and the emotional skill to work with uh, larger groups of musicians as well as maybe being soloists. And so this is something that uh, all musicians really have to deal with, and the audition process is part of that, and it's honing all these facets of musicianship. Absolutely. Uh, There are many people out there who actually do corporate events using music and orchestras as a metaphor for how to work together as a team. Um, And I think that is... It's a fantastic education for our students. They learn how to put themselves out there. They learn how to work with people from other schools. Um, You know, so the rubber chicken rivalry doesn't (laughs) get in the way of them playing great music together. And, you know, they get to meet kids outside of their own schools and realize that they are part of this larger musical community. And I think all of us who are in music can attest to the fact that you bring up any musician's name, even in another part of the country, oh, well, I know someone who knows them. It's, right. it's that three degrees of separation that's really phenomenal it's, that makes music so much fun. And so when we talk about a Spokane Youth Symphony concert, we're actually talking about these four tiers within the Spokane Youth Symphony. And so all of them will perform different pieces as part of this concert. And so we're actually starting off with the strings, um, right. with the, the beginners group. And they have, a, they have an interesting uh, program. They've got uh, Vivaldi's Four Seasons, which most people should be familiar with. But they've also got Follow the Rainbow and Medieval Wars. Right. Um, so <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about these pieces? I certainly can. Um, So let me first uh, back up by saying that for every concert, we try to pick a concert theme. So as you mentioned, this one is the nature of music. And so that leaves us conductors in in an interesting place trying (laughs) to find music that fits the theme. And sometimes we can hit all three or four pieces on the program for each group. Sometimes it's just uh, a mix. So I think, of course, Follow the Rainbow and the Four Seasons uh, fit our nature of music. But the medieval wars, there there seems to be something in school orchestra music that if you can include the words dragon, medieval, um, journey, quest, (laughs) mystic, (laughs) any of those things, you are guaranteed to sell your music. And if you just call it uh, music for fun, it will not work. So... Uh, I'm sure that Medieval Wars is a really fun little piece. So pro tip, work Viking or uh, or Dragon into your title if you're a composer. Absolutely. And (laughs) speaking of that, Soon He Newbold, who is the composer of Alpha and Omega, which is one of the pieces we're playing, is an expert at that. Her entire catalog looks like it came out of The Lord of the Rings. You know, that's interesting because I've noticed that a lot of the contemporary pieces, they almost take a page from pop music and they come up with really inventive titles. So, you know, uh, gone are the the musical notation in F major, opus, et cetera. Right. Uh, we're now titling our pieces and kind of giving audiences uh, or listeners something to anticipate, almost setting a, a theme for them. Absolutely. I mean, program music has been around forever and ever. Uh, And composers have realized that they can attract audiences by naming it something in our human experience other than just, you know, Opus 10, like you said. (laughs) But not not all classical music is, is done that way. But 
when we get a good title, that's that's my biggest problem of programming is because our pieces do tend to be symphony, overture, uh, that sort of thing. So, And then uh, with the Sinfonietta, we have Grieg's Norwegian Dance. And then we've got a piece by Rafe von Williams, and I really hesitate to venture pronouncing this. Uh, Rosy Medra? I th- yeah, I think you avoid the Y, Rose Medra. Rose Medra, there we yeah. go. Okay. It is an absolutely stunningly beautiful piece, and I, I'm looking forward to hearing this arrangement by Arnold Foster. The Whitworth Orchestra has played that piece, and it's not a challenging technical piece, but to bring across the flowing lines and the beautiful harmonies and um, just the, the overall kind of ethereal nature of the piece, I think is a really great challenge for Sinfonietta. And I know that with all of Gerilyn's imagery, those kids are going to do a great job of the piece. And when you're devising these programs, do you all kind of sit down in a huddle or do you maybe settle on a theme and then go off and then come back and say, here are some pieces that I've come up with? And, you know, because we have four ensembles or orchestras and then four conductors. So you're going to get some sort of individual flavor with each. Well, one of the great things that we have going for us is Jennifer O'Bannon. (laughs) who is our executive director, and she keeps us on track. She makes us decide what the titles of the programs for each of the four concerts are going to be. So we do do that part of it sort of by committee. But then each conductor chooses their own music, and I generally send around the list of pieces that I'm choosing just in case we've duplicated anything, especially between Philharmonic and the Youth Symphony. That has been known to happen where... Dr. Batelli and I will choose exactly the same piece. <laughs> so one of us has to give. <laughs> and so then after the Sinfonietta performs their program, uh, we have the Youth Philharmonic. And as you mentioned, that's led by uh, Roberta Batelli. And they're playing a, a piece by Copland that I think should be relatively well known. Absolutely. Those of us a little bit on the older side remember the commercial beef, it's what's for dinner. Okay. <laughs> but I think you would have to be living in a foxhole not to have heard Copland's Rodeo, the hoedown from Rodeo. It's an extremely exciting piece. I think, speaking of bringing the vernacular into classical music, Copland was one of the people that was able to elevate, in this case, you know, hoedown to the level of art music. And it's a staple in the repertoire. Everybody loves this piece. Students love playing it. It's wickedly hard. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's unforgiving. It's very difficult. But the payoff is that you get to play something really fantastic, even if maybe sometimes your technique doesn't get you there. Yeah, and it's good to hear that that challenge is kind of built into your programming, that these aren't designed to be pieces that um, the, the young musicians perform expertly or flawlessly. It's it's designed to challenge them and help them grow as musicians. Absolutely. I think one of the unique features of music is that unlike going to view a painting or going to a ballet or going to an um, going to some other kind of artistic event, musicians get to participate in creating the art. Mm. So you've got this wonderful piece of music written by Aaron Copeland, and then you put a bunch of kids in a room and say, <laughs> here, interact with this masterpiece. And to me, that is that right there describes the greatest joy of playing music because I get to make, create uh, art every time I pick up the instrument, every time I sit down in the orchestra. 
And I think that changes a person. I think that gives you a greater appreciation for um, what the composer has done. It also gives you that opportunity to share something with the audiences that you have created. And the other thing is that once you've stopped playing, if you want to hear it again, you've got to play it again. So (laughs) it just disappears into the ether and then you start over. And the Copeland in and of itself might suffice, but there are actually two more pieces on here. And one is the Marslav by uh, Tchaikovsky. And this is a tone poem and not the only tone poem on the on the overall program. But can you tell us about this piece? Well, first of all, being Tchaikovsky, it's filled with beautiful melodies, Mm. uh, and it's very dramatic. And beyond that, I don't know what the program is behind it. I should have probably looked that up before stepping in the studio. I think the history is that it it was meant to celebrate the Russian intervention in the Serbo-Croat War. Um, That's my my vague Wikipedia recollection of it. But... um, Late 1800s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for <laughs> thank you for filling in those details. Again, I think the the value of the piece here is that you get to interact with Tchaikovsky, and his symphonies might be be beyond the reach of the Philharmonic students, but this piece is a shorter piece, fewer technical demands, but gets the students to play the real music, not an arrangement, but the real music written by Tchaikovsky and interact with one of the great artists. And so we have this piece by a master, and then we have something that should be a little more accessible, and that is Pirates (laughs) of the Caribbean. I think there are a couple of pieces that will outlast uh, the movies um, and will become part of the classical repertoire, the orchestral repertoire. Um, I think the Lord of the Rings suites Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) and Pirates of the Caribbean. That is such an instantly recognizable piece. If you think back, that movie was probably 20 years ago. The fact that kids still scream in in delight when they find out they're going to get to play Pirates of the Caribbean, you know, I I think that attests to to the power of that music. It's, and this music is not just simply um, cool melody and some drums. It's very complex. It's very hemiola. Uh, there's a lot of rhythmic activity going on there, multiple cross rhythms going on at the same time. And so it's a great teaching piece as well. Yeah, that's a good point, that just because it's film music and just because it is universally beloved doesn't necessarily mean that it's easy to play. <laughs> right. And, and I think the, the complexity of the piece and Howard Shore's scores for all of the Lord of the Rings movies Obviously, these are composers who have studied the classical repertoire. They know that material. John Williams is, of course, the dean of of all of that. And the music is not easy. And I think the reason it will last a long time is because it's quality music. Yeah, and so finally, we get to the, the Spokane Youth Symphony Orchestra proper. And they've got four selections on their program. And they're starting with a piece called Alpha and Omega. You had made reference to this earlier, and this is by Soon-Hee Newbold. And this was a piece that I was unfamiliar with. Um, and if you don't mind, I think we have time to play I a selection it. from that. And this is this is a high school youth symphony or a high school youth orchestra based down in Allen, Texas. This is a performance that they did about two years ago. And it should give listeners just some idea of the piece and then what it's like performed by youth musicians.
So that was the Allen Texas High School Symphony Orchestra performing Alpha and Omega, written by the composer Soon-Hee Newbold. And that is a piece that is on the Spokane Youth Symphony program coming up this Sunday. And I have to say, definitely more Pirates of the Caribbean vibes in that, no? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> any, any of that kind of rhythmic um, energy is, is a, I think, a trait of a lot of high school-level literature. Um, but I didn't choose it for that. Uh, this piece has a very significant meaning for us. This is the first year that the Spokane Youth Symphony will do a tour. And this tour was arranged to go to Colorado Springs because I'm familiar with that orchestra. And they are sort of the model of where I'd like to take the Youth Symphony in terms of they do international tours, they they do a lot of outreach to their community, they do a lot of performances, partly because not all of the schools in that area offer music. And so the Colorado Springs Youth Symphony has become sort of the mecca for musicians in that area to begin their studies and then move all the way up through uh, the professional level. And that's why we started a Suzuki program here for the Youth Symphony. And that's going very, very well to, to replace some of the missing early start for strings in our community. So this piece was actually written by Sunhi Newbold or commissioned by the Youth Symphony from Sunhi Newbold. And Gary Nicholson is their conductor, so he commissioned the piece. So I thought it would be fun to bring a piece that he commissioned to his area and play it for his students. And also the provenance in a youth symphony, you know, the fact that the piece was written for youth symphony musicians is just kind of remarkable as yeah, well. Yeah, it's, it's great. Um, a lot of school orchestras and youth symphonies do that kind of work. Sometimes they have to team up in order to meet the fee, but, uh, <laughs> but Spokane Symphony has done that. They've teamed with several different orchestras around the country to commission pieces for those orchestras. So I think it's a wonderful relationship between composer and performing group. Yeah, and it'll be a really nice opener to a program that also includes, as I, I, we were kind of joking earlier, it's a kind of a greatest hits of, of classical music. I mean, we, you know, we've got Mendelssohn and uh, Fingal's Cave and uh, Beethoven's opening movement or the first movement to his pastoral symphony. Yeah. Uh, so these pieces are just so incredibly recognizable, as well as the Holst. Of course, yeah. So the, the Hebrides is, of course program music. Uh, this is Mendelssohn's trip to the Hebrides Islands, and he was struck by the power and the beauty and kind of the rugged, raw power of the ocean pounding into the island there. And so it made him think of a theme, and that theme became the central melody for the Hebrides Overture. So that, of course, is a tie-in to our um, nature of music theme. The Beethoven Symphony is, of course, the pastoral symphony and the fact that we have four concerts throughout the year made it easy to just put one movement on each concert. Um, so last last concert we played the second movement. This time we're doing the first movement. Uh, I should warn listeners that if you are struck by the fact that there are trombones playing in both of those pieces, it is because I did not want my students sitting there doing nothing. So I wrote parts for them to play. So. There are no trombone parts in the Beethoven in the real version, but you will hear them this time. Yeah, and all the more reason to come out because it's presenting the, pa the Pastoral Symphony in uh, an arrangement that you might not have heard before. Exactly. I think if some other conductors, Gustav Mahler, for instance, can do that, 
I think I can do it too. <laughs> and then uh, we also have Mars from Holst's Planet. You know, and as soon as I heard this was on the program, immediately that that rhythmic quality to it just started, you know, beating in my head. Of course, I mean it's it's an iconic piece. It was actually student led here. The students were clamoring to play something from Planets, and Jupiter would have been the other great choice. But I thought that Mars was first of all a little shorter. And I thought sort of tied in with the new bold with the mixed meters um, and, well, 7-8 and 5-4 and 5-2. So it's it's kind of a good tie-in. And then, you know, looking ahead, because obviously these concerts don't take place in isolation. They're actually part of a larger Celebrate Spokane season. So not only do the concerts themselves have themes, the larger season has this theme of Celebrate Spokane. So you did Mountains and Streams back in November. Right. And then coming up in March, you've got uh, Voices of Our Youth. Right. So this will be the concert which showcases our concerto competition winners. And every year I get the pleasure of sitting in on the competition itself. I don't judge because that would be unfair, but I, I sit in and not being a judge allows me to sit there and listen in a different way and just appreciate how hard these students have worked. They've all had to learn their piece, memorize their piece, work with a pianist, and then have the courage to stand up and play it in front of judges. And every single kid who played a couple weeks ago uh, just did a fantastic job. But of course, we only choose three. And the winners will be performing on our next concert, Your Daughter Among Them. <laughs> and I'm hoping we can talk about all of that and maybe even have some of these young musicians in the studio ahead of that concert, because it's, uh, you know, it's really something as we celebrate Spokane, it's also really nice to celebrate the musicians. And I know that I did a, a print article on the Spokane Youth Symphony, um, you know, a year or two years back or so. And what was really impressive was that these musicians, you know, emerged for one concert out from among their peers to really strut their stuff, which is which is good to see. Right. Um, but then, you know, we have in May, very mm -hmm. appropriately, we have Expo with an exclamation mark. And so this is celebrating a really landmark event in Spokane's history. Right. Well, and, and I should bring your attention to the fact that we get to celebrate two things kind of back to back. So in this case, we're celebrating um, the World Fair Expo here in Spokane. But next year is our 75th, our Diamond Jubilee season for the U Symphony. So we've been around 75 years, um, which actually is longer than the Colorado Springs U Symphony. So, um, but we've got some catching up to do as far as our programming. <laughs> so we want to sort of prepare people for this wonderful event. Uh, Vern Windham, who is the former Youth Symphony conductor, and also James Lowe, the conductor of the Spokane Symphony, will be involved in this. And we want to make this a celebration for all our current and all of our alumni uh, musicians. So if you know anybody who is in the Youth Symphony and you're listening to this program right now and you think they haven't heard about this upcoming celebration, please let them know. It will be really exciting to get as many of those alumni on the stage as possible and to work with all of these great conductors. And is that coming up in May or is that coming up in November? That's a little bit a little bit further out. Yes, it is. It's November of November 30th of this year. Wow. I, I work in seasons and school years, so 
Everything well, ends in May for me. The, the months tend to fly by as yes. well. And so if there are folks who are listening and they say, oh, I was involved in the Spokane Youth Symphony or I know someone who was involved in the Spokane Youth Symphony and would really like to participate in this celebration of its history, um, they can get in touch by, I guess, going to the, to the website? Write to info at spokaneyouthsymphony.org. And Spokane Youth Symphony is all one word, no spaces, no caps. Excellent. Um, you can also go to the – just Google our website and you can find information there. And they can also call. Okay. Well, great. I want to thank you so much for coming in today and walking us through the program as well as giving us a, a little primer on the Spokane Youth Symphony as well. It was a wonderful pleasure and thank you for highlighting us. Uh, this is a, a treasure in our community and I just feel so privileged to be a part of it. I've been speaking this morning with Phil Baldwin, who was here today, speaking on behalf of the Spokane Youth Symphony. The Spokane Youth Symphony's concert, titled The Nature of Music, is on Sunday, January 28th, at the Fox Theater in downtown Spokane. And you can get tickets and more information about this concert, as well as all the Spokane Youth Symphony uh, concerts and, and the organization itself at spokaneyouthsymphony.org. And you can also visit foxtheaterspokane.org for tickets.